This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB Public Media app. From MPB Think Radio, this is Creature Comforts, the show all about your animals and the animals around you. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Troy Major, veterinarian at the Animal Medical Center in Jackson. Libby Hartfield, retired director of the Mississippi Museum of Natural Sciences, out this week. So today, as it is every first Thursday of the month, all pet day on Creature Comforts. The doors to our pet hospital are wide open, and we welcome pet questions from the big to the small. Also in studio this morning, we have Teresa Gardner to talk about her work with certified therapy and service dogs. Don't hesitate to join our conversation this morning with your phone call or an email. You can email animals at mpbonline.org. And if you've had a wildlife experience you'd like to share with us recently, we always like to hear those as well. And a reminder that Creature Comforts airs Thursday, uh, Saturday mornings at 6 in addition to Thursday morning at 9. So good morning. Good to have you back in the studio, Dr. Major. Why don't we jump right into things with an email that we got, and it's a a nice picture of the the dog. And the question is, I have a male dog. He's a mixed chihuahua and miniature pit, about six or seven years old. But notice the other day something big and round beside one of his nipples about the size of the tip of a finger. was wondering how to uh, determine if it could be a tumor or not. It's a great picture. It's good to have that. Uh, I would say, number one, that this looks like it is a tumor of some sort associated with the nipple or close to the nipple and my really suggestion would be to get in to see your vet and have them assess the situation and i would suggest removal it's like i appreciate the picture though it helps a lot yeah that's an unusual mix now uh, chihuahua and and they said miniature pit but uh (laughs) we see we see a little of everything uh, but obviously, that's something. When you notice that, that that would almost see like that's something that you really do need to follow up with uh, with your vet on. And it sounds like it's growing rapidly, so that's that's another thing that needs to be looked at as soon as possible. All right, so uh, summer's here. Uh, we've had some heat. We've had a lot of rain. Uh, we've talked about the heat and about mosquitoes and and how to control that and, and the effect they have on our pets. Is there anything else that we need to think about in the summertime when it comes to our our cats and dogs and other pets? You know, it's the whole, whole thing of uh, summer in Mississippi, uh, regardless of the temperature. I mean, it's hot, has been hot. It's always humid, it seems like. But uh, there's some basics, obviously, flea and tick control. We're seeing more ticks now all of a sudden, hmm. and uh, ticks can spread some pretty serious diseases, uh, both to our pets and to um, us, humans. So be very aware of that. There are good uh, tick medications uh, that are associated with flea medication as well that uh, will actually kill the tick uh, usually before it attaches, which is good. Uh, always inspect your dog, though, or cat, when you get a chance because sometimes a tick can hide behind the ear, in the ear. Uh, we had a little dog in the other day that was ataxic by that wobbly and sure enough it had a tick uh, along its back Hmm. Uh, as far as the mosquitoes uh, very difficult to control the mosquitoes 
as far as getting rid of them because we've had so much rain. Uh, be sure to keep um, things that collect water empty as much as you can, except for the water for birds and for our pets, and clean that out regularly, and you shouldn't have a problem in the yard. Uh, very important with both dogs and cats to look at the prevention of heartworm disease, uh, which mosquitoes are the prime vector, and uh, or the vector, really. And it would be best to really be careful with uh, maintaining your pet on heartworm preventive. And also I would say, you know, most folks know how energetic their pets are, but if you see your pet beginning to be a little bit lethargic, or panting, that sort of thing, that's that's obviously a sign that maybe there's an issue there, and so that might be something that you'd want to follow up on as well. Yes, and, you know, just because a dog is coughing or uh, panting doesn't mean that it has heartworms. But at the same time, there may be other conditions such as uh, heart disease, uh, something that could be uh, going on there. But uh, very, very seldom do you see a dog that's symptomatic for heartworms that's not doing one of those things, either coughing, being lethargic. uh, And it's time to see your vet when you see these things. Uh, We're excited to have uh, two special guests in the studio with us this morning. Teresa Gardner is uh, someone who works with therapy dogs and service dogs. Uh, Teresa, thanks for being with us this morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Good morning to you. And um, our furry friend is here. Uh, Tell us who you brought with us. I brought Ruger. Mm -hmm. He is a therapy dog and has been a therapy dog since 2017. Um, and we go to nursing homes, assisted livings, hospitals, uh, radio stations. <laughs> we go everywhere. But he is certified through Alliance of Therapy Dogs, okay. which I am a tester and observer. It's a national organization. But Ruger is an eight-year-old golden retriever, and he's been wonderful. I mean, he's easily trained, but he does make everybody feel better he's a he's a big fella too he is a big fella uh, <laughs> troy informed me that he gained about four or five pounds <laughs> lately <laughs> but he he weighs about 90 pounds and uh that's typical sometimes with goldens they have a tendency to be a hog when it comes to food <laughs> he likes to eat yes. <laughs> he does like to eat so how did you how did you get interested in, in training these kind of dogs well for one thing i had a motorcycle wreck years ago put me in the hospital for a, about a year uh wasn't supposed to live much less be able to walk and some friends of mine that i no, out of Tennessee, were here in Jackson for a dog show when I was in the hospital. And they brought two of their Akitas, which are Japanese fighting dogs, but they're wonderful therapy dogs. They brought them to the hospital. And I was having a hard time getting back up on my feet and trying to stay going. And these two dogs gave me that push over the peak to really work and get back up on my feet and I knew then I wanted to do therapy work so I did all my investigation I did all my reading trying to find organizations and I found Alliance of Therapy Dogs 
And we've been doing it ever since. And it's wonderful, the reaction that we get when we walk into a senior living or a nursing home or a children's school. Or, and that's why I do what I do. And is this a national group? Yes, it is. It's a national organization. Um, they've, I think they have been doing therapy work since the early 1970s. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm actually on the board now with the therapy organization. There are 11 members on the therapy board. And we are scattered all over the United States, Puerto Rico and Hawaii. So tell us about the three types of assistance animals. Well, you have a service dog. And the service dog is the one that helps its owner do whatever it needs, whether it's a guide dog or a hearing dog. Um, They are doing autistic dogs now, autism detection dogs. That's a dog for one person and one person only. They are not the dog that you would walk up and love on and pet. Your emotional support animals, or ESA as they refer to them, That's a dog that gives comfort to its owner, but it can also help other people. It's not just relegated to just being an owner dog, but they can help with emotional problems, um, panic attacks. PTSD is an ESA dog also. Um, and then you have therapy dogs. Therapy dogs provide that love to anybody and everybody that needs it. So I love the fact that a dog, I'm a dog person anyway, so it's just a natural for me to have quite a few. <laughs> I only have two right now, and one of them is crazy. <laughs> he's a lot of fun. Ruger is that gentle giant, you know, he's the one that's going to do whatever I ask of him. The other one is taking some time to train. (laughs) (laughs) That's a very nice way of putting that. (laughs) I'm trying to be nice. (laughs) It's a very, very energetic dog. He is very energetic, yes. So, uh, Teresa, you mentioned the three types of uh, service dogs. Um, You know, the thing that was interesting to me is that you said – they, they're starting to use them as detection with, with autism. Can, yes. Do we know how the dogs have this almost like sixth sense? It's amazing what they can sense in humans. It's, it is amazing to watch a dog learn. And they are the service dogs and the ESA dogs, which are emotional support dogs, those dogs are highly trained. They don't even really start training Uh, Other than the basics, sit, stay, come, taking them out in public, socializing, until they're two or three years old. You can do the basics on them as puppies. And most all of your service dogs and ESA dogs have what we call puppy raisers. And we are so lucky here in the state of Mississippi to have one of the few guide dog schools. Mm. That is a certified guide dog. She's been doing it forever. Uh, she's wonderful. But you you want a dog to be mature enough to take the training serious, too, because it is a serious training. But it's amazing to watch them work through different scents, and you 
they have all kind of little training tools that they do for the dogs. And any dog can do it. Uh, they have to have some intelligence about them, and they have to have patience with the dog and the person. But I've seen them train dogs for um, narcolepsy. The, I don't know a lot about the narcolepsy, but they can detect when somebody's going to fall asleep ahead of them falling asleep. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, but we have a lot of people that use uh, what we call mobility assistance dogs. And they are dogs that, for instance, me, that walks on titanium legs. I might could use Ruger for my mobility service dog because he can help me get up off of a chair or even off the floor. He will post now because I've kind of taught him how to help me if I get a little shaky on my legs. But it's amazing what dogs can learn. And the ESA dogs are more for, they give comfort to the owner, and they can go into public places, some public places. Uh, the only two dogs that can do that are the service dogs. Any any type of service dog and also the ESA dogs but they help with moods in people and depression and it's a dog that just gives them their own companionship for the owner and if they have an emotional condition they are able to let that emotion go to the dog uh, it takes a lot out of a dog being a service dog and an ESA dog and a therapy dog uh, for instance, for me, when I leave here today, I've got to go, and Ruger and I are going to walk a hospital mm. for the staff, not the patients, mm. because the staff, they need that comfort time. So, so <clears throat> do we have any sense of how these dogs, I mean, is it maybe that we're giving off slight things that they can pick up on? Oh, that absolutely. Maybe- Your body changes. Your body goes through, um, say it's the autistic child. I have actually seen dogs that a a child that will not let anybody touch them except their parent. I've seen an autistic dog lay down, not right by the child, but away from the child in a group reading area. And the child eventually reaches out and pets him. But what he never realized was the whole time he's petting, the dog's moving closer and closer and never gets off of his stomach. He's on the floor, and he gets right up. But that dog senses something in the change of body of people, you know. Now, guide dogs and hearing dogs, those are dogs that you just train them to do what you need them to do. Uh, We taught dogs for a long time at the county farm, Hines County Penal Farm, because I did the Second Chance Pet Partners Program. Well, we would teach the dogs to turn on lights, turn off lights. Uh, They could pat the door or pop the door to open a cabinet and get something out of the cabinet. But you teach those dogs. They don't have to have that, what I call that seventh sense that dog is what you want to use for your autistic, for your specialized ESA dogs, for the hearing 
and seizure dogs. There's definitely something with a seizure dog that he he smells. Troy could probably answer it better than I can. They smell something. Initially, they they have that reaction. And if you pay attention to the dog, if it's in your family, and you can pay attention to the dog and you see the dog's whole demeanor changes before he actually does the alert on the child or the adult. You're listening to Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We're visiting today with Teresa Gardner. She trains uh, service dogs, and so we're talking about that. And we also have Ruger with us. So I think uh, if you're hearing a little panting in the background, I think that's our furry friend here this morning. Uh, And again, tell us what kind of dog he is. He's a golden retriever. He's eight years old, purebred. I know everybody refers to dogs as full-blooded, but... Every living creature is full-blooded. <laughs> but they are purebred goldens. And you mentioned that kind of any dog can be trained to be a service dog, but, you know, he's a good-sized dog, so I imagine that that could be a benefit in certain circumstances. It is definitely a benefit, especially in your mobility and your guide dogs. Uh, in the guide dog school, they use golden retrievers. They use Dobermans. That's her breed that she did She's actually blind, the lady that runs the school, and has been since she was 17 years old. So she likes the bigger dogs because they are stability. They give you a stable handle to hold on to. So um, when a service dog is trained, again, eventually it's, you know, goes to someone who, who's able to use it. Is there, does the owner of the dog get involved in the training as well at some point? Yes, sir, they do. That's what we did out at the county farm. That's what the owner with the guide dog school. They have to be handled by different people for the first two to three years. But once that dog is ready... Then they bring the owner of the dog in. And most people know ahead of time that they want a dog, and they start looking. Get on a list. Get their name on a list. So, uh, But, yes, it's very important for the dog and the handler or owner in a service dog case for them to have a bond. You have to have a bond with your dog. So, um, so what are the legal rights and protections for service dog handlers? Well, unfortunately, used to be the service dog and a handler had the right to go anywhere. Now what has happened, because they have online service dog vest and credentials and you don't have to take any training, well, that hurts the service dog and a real handler. Some guide people, guide dog people, the PTSD people. They're getting stopped at the door because so many have abused the privilege of having, quote-unquote, a service dog that's not truly a service dog. Mm-hmm. Um, I really don't need to get on that soapbox, I guess, <laughs> but, oh, well, it's a little late now, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. No, that's fine. I, 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 I see where you're coming from. Right, perf- it, but it is hard um, somebody that has a legal service dog. And when you have a service dog, you should go get that service dog with the approval of a health care 
person, a doctor, your psychiatrist, that who needs to actually write a prescription for that emotional support animal, truly. But it's not done. And another problem is the owner of an establishment that you want to go in cannot stop you. They can't even ask you, is that a service dog? So it really creates a hardship on people that truly need to service dog. And Dr. Major, we do have an email here that says, I have a little, no, that's, I'm really losing my stuff here. Here we go. Sorry about that. Hi, for some reason, the fleas have been terrible this year. My dogs have always been on over-the-counter flea medicine, and it's been plenty to keep the fleas away. But this year, nothing I've done has helped. I've used yard spray, dog spray, shampoo, flea collars, and their normal over-the-counter medicine, and nothing is working. Uh, My GSD? German Shepherd Dog. All right. Great Pyrenees mix has been chewing and crying constantly, and I can only assume it's from the fleas. Not sure what to do from here. She's losing more and more hair and is obviously uncomfortable. Any suggestions? It's a great question. And uh, it appears in her, in this case, that probably the fleas have developed some resistance to the over-the-counter type medication. It's in wide use, and usually it works, but there are some instances where it doesn't. I would suggest that uh, you usually have three three places to treat. One, the dog or cat, the house, and the outside. Now, we see a lot of problems with stray animals, stray cats, this sort of thing, that have fleas, and they deposit flea eggs, flea larvae, wherever they may be. So that could be a source of fleas. Uh, as far as treating the house, be careful. Uh, professional uh, flea exterminators certainly might be the the best. As far as the other, I would rely on something from your veterinarian. Uh, some of the uh, top ones are Prevecto, uh, Gradelio, uh, some Paracatrio. All of those are very effective, and I've not seen any resistance to those. And some of those will last for quite a while. There's some topicals that are good, and orals as well and yeah you had uh, told me that about and it's something i guess that maybe a lot of pet owners don't realize is like okay well i've got my pet you know guarded against fleas and that sort of thing but again there's all those animals outside that might not be uh but uh i started using a a stuff i got at the pet store uh flea control and spraying it all the way around my house and the baseboards and especially uh the doors and everything and that seemed to help but that's that's a good thing to keep in mind is that you might have your pet done up nicely but there are other places where the fleas might could get in and so you want to think about that to to keep your flea prevention uh, as best as it can. So uh, Java, I think, told me that his parents have got a new puppy, so I think he's got a question for you. Yeah, I have been um, meaning to talk with you, Dr. Major. My parents, they have a brand-new chocolate lab that they um, got from the shelter maybe about a month ago, and I believe it is uh, maybe about two months old. Uh, it's actually going for a vet visit today. But I didn't know if you had any advice for new puppy parents. Um, they are retirees, so that puts them in a certain category. Sure. <laughs> um, but, you know, if you had any uh, advice for the, the you know, new, new chocolate lab owners. Right. So it's about eight weeks old. Yeah. And it nips and, and, right. and, and, and chases after everything. <laughs> Well, first of all, I know that labs are wonderful dogs, but I will assure you, 
you need to take care to put your valuable stuff up. Uh, shoes, purses, uh, TV remotes, that's the most common thing that happens to a TV remote is uh, a dog tearing it up. Point being, it's a puppy. And I wouldn't say that labs are the worst necessarily, but I know that they do have some tendencies to eat and chew. So be aware of that. Other than that, house training is very important. This dog is old enough that you can start to do some of the things on a leash. Uh, it needs to know how to lead. It may and not like it at first, but certainly uh, using uh, some, just some skills. Uh, if it likes treats, it can learn to sit, stay. And this sounds like a lot for an eight-week-old dog, but I've seen a lot of them that come in the clinic that do know how to do that. The other thing is house training. If you're going to uh, teach the dog to go outside, to use the outside as his place to go to urinate and defecate, uh, I would say that being having a routine, which they're retired, which they should be able to have a routine, um, and in the puppy, uh, certainly within a few minutes after it's eaten, uh, it's time to go outside. And you may see that the puppy plays with leaves and pine cones and things like that rather than wanting to go to the bathroom. But it will. And just consistency with that. If you have it kenneled, which I highly recommend at night, uh, it's called crate training. There, You can go online and look at crate training. But certainly, um, and when you uh, get up in the morning, the first thing to do is take the puppy outside before feeding it. Uh, there are a lot of things that you can do, but learning those basics of sit, stay, finding out what the key to that puppy is, whether it likes treats or not. Don't overdo the treats, but uh, certainly uh, sounds like uh, they can handle that puppy well. I would recommend uh, regular vet checks. Uh, it should have had one set of shots. They're probably going in for another today. And we see a lot of parvovirus still, and I would suggest keeping this puppy away from where other dogs have been until it's had its full complement of shots. Well, I will say that they are working very hard. Um, as early as it is, they have got her to uh, kind of sit and uh, kind of uh, go and come, um, you know, kind of on command a little bit. I would ask this question, or would you recommend about kind of leash-free um, training or – you know how you see. You know how you see dogs right. out and about Absol- without a leash. Ab- absolutely, but here's the problem: they need to do the leash first and have the dog trained on a leash first, and then go to leash free if they can do that. Uh, it's not every dog that can be off leash, and some of them never will. But uh, I would say that the main thing would be do the leash things first, and then after the dog probably is what, six months old or eight months old, go to trying and maybe working with somebody that can help with that. It's not a real easy thing to do off-leash. And I see dogs off-leash that are doing quite well. But there are other dogs that you may have to go chase, and I'm sure your parents really don't want to be chasing this dog down the road. Teresa, you were shaking your head. What are your thoughts? I love to see a dog work off-leash, but I would never trust a dog six months old. Uh, simply because they're still in a growing stage, <coughs> and Troy's right. They're going to see a squirrel and go, oh, <laughs> let me go over there. Uh, but definitely teach them leash training. 
Um, and that starts with just putting a leash on a dog with a little bitty collar and letting them drag it around the house. It's so it, it's great for the dog and it's secure. The kennel is a great thing. I always teach a dog to kennel up. If I even in a conversation in my house say kennel up to somebody about my dogs, they go get in their kennels. And the doors never close, but they never come out till I give them a command. It's a place for security. They it like is. it. They love yeah. it. It's secure for them. But the other question I have for you, that if that dog's already nipping now, it's not going to be a nip. It's going to be a true bite. Yeah, well, they I need to stop that immediately. Well, if you could give us some advice, because one of her favorite things um, <laughs> is, is to, to de- on the hand. <laughs> is to destroy water bottles. Um, also, like any kind of chew toy, like she just, I mean, when we are eating in the, in the kitchen, our toes and shoes are not safe. Um, you know, it's just a thing. <laughs> That's when the kennel comes into play. Right. And That's you know, when you want to, and, and make it a fun thing to do, to put it, that dog in a kennel. What about take, the spray bottle? Oh, yeah, I love a spray bottle. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a barking detection dog. You know, that, you, they don't like that spray bottle. Put a you, little vinegar in it. But you know, until recently, as far as AKC registrations, the lab has been number one. For, it's kind of like the Ford pickup for 40, right. 40 years or however long. But remember this, the classic picture of a lab lying in front of the uh, fireplace. Uh, it's probably a three or four year old lab, maybe older. Until then, you have to be aware that a lab is very active. They do like to chew, and I've got some horror stories of things that they've destroyed. It's not just labs, but they are notorious for it. Goldens, your bigger dogs are your chewers. They are heavy-duty chewers. And believe me, these microphones, this desk, nothing is safe. (laughs) (laughs) The chair legs, you know. So. This is Creature Comforts on MPB Think Radio. We do have a caller on the line. It's our friend Kathleen who calls us from Osaka. Good morning, Kathleen. You're on the air with us. Go ahead. Good morning, guys. Uh, two quick things. One, the story short, I uh, had adopted an eight-year-old black lab years ago named Dixie, and she was right at 100 pounds. She was a curly lab and hard-headed. I made the mistake of leaving her in the van because she was not store trained. It was not hot. Well, I went and ran an errand in the grocery store. Now, this is short, a little stop and go thing, not a full fledged uh, shopping spree. I came back. Uh, she had chewed part of the dashboard. And I don't know what she did in the back, but I didn't want to find out what it was until I got home. And uh, she she got a lot of training. She did learn from me after that, but she uh, she was with an older person that just didn't have the time, and they got sick and had to give her up, you know. Anyway, I wanted to ask the doc about diatomaceous earth. BB will not. Not let me put police spray on him. He does not want to pill, and it's hard to get him even let me really clean his ears. But it's like rap an alligator. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Diatomaceous earth. Uh, 
basically what diatomaceous earth is really good for your surroundings, uh, carpet, uh, sofa. I don't think it'll hurt anything. But basically what it does is dehydrates the larva or eggs. As far as killing the adult fleas, I'm not aware that it will kill the adult fleas. But it does help in trying to uh, eliminate the sources of eggs and larva where they might be. And what I would do if you were trying to help from the standpoint of the house, sprinkle it in the carpet uh, and then do a thorough vacuuming and vacuum things up. I think that will help some. But don't count on it to kill the adult fleas. We've got a caller on the line. So we say good morning to Stephen, who's in Boonville. Good morning, Stephen. You're on the air, so go ahead. Good morning. My question was this for the uh, guest with the guide dog. Um, mentioning what she said, that uh, when someone takes a, a uh, dog, a animal like that, into a department store or a public place with them, and the uh, store owner is not allowed to even legally ask them if it's a certified uh, uh, animal as such. And uh, say uh, they walk into Walmart, and chances are slim that it would happen, but some other customer walks up and goes to pet that dog, and that dog bites that customer. Who's going to be held liable because that store owner doesn't have the right to put a stop to it? Uh, honestly, unfortunately, the owner would be liable for the dog biting. But if it's a true service dog, it's not going to bite. It's not even going to move toward the other person so that the handler would say, this is a service dog and you're not allowed to pet it. Nobody should put their hands on a true service dog, and that is the problem. But that would be a civil case. The okay. person I, that got... Well, I was, I was, pardon? I, well, I was, I was um, curious about that because I've seen some owners who, like you said, abuse... Um, the right to take an animal in store, sometimes just to show off their pet. But I've seen some service dogs that actually have, they're wearing a harness with a banner over it that says service dog on it. Right. So that's obvious there. But no. there's many, like you said, who abuse it. That's what I was, uh, okay, you can get those vests that says service dog on it online for I don't know, $25, $30, something like that. That is not a true service dog. But a true service dog on their vest will have do not pet on it. Uh, good, 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 good. It should, for sure. But yeah, the, yeah. the fake, what we call the fake vest, they don't have that on it. But a service dog should never be petted by anybody else but the owner, the handler, whether he's blind or deaf or whatever's wrong with him. Uh, but you, if that dog bites, that's the owner's responsibility for having the fake service dog in there in the beginning. Thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. <laughs> All right, okay. uh, Stephen, we appreciate uh, your phone call. So, uh, Teresa, you mentioned that uh, sometimes you'll take, uh, um, uh, I guess, the emotional support dogs to, say, a nursing home or whatever. Therapy it, dogs. Therapy dogs, okay. Therapy dogs. So, again, if you would tell us kind of how that goes, and, and I'm really interested oh. to the reaction because 
you know, we're here in the studio, and there's other people that work here, obviously. Right. And word has gotten out that there is a dog, and we've had several. <laughs> and it's something about our pets, dogs especially. I mean, I prefer. I like dogs. I prefer cats, but I love dogs as well. Right. That bond is. It's amazing. Yeah. You're so, right. Well, let me tell you, I do it two different ways. In, in say, a nursing home or an assisted living. And some of the people are mobile and some are in wheelchairs and then some people are bedridden. So we will go into what's called the common room first and Ruger will go from one person to the next. He stops and lets them pet. They want to love on him. They want to pet him. And then he goes to the next person. Well, if they've got somebody bedridden that we need to go in their room, I have taught Ruger to pause up and he, that means put his paws on the bed so that the bedridden person can pet him also. So we go from room to room. And usually it takes anywhere from 45 minutes to an hour and a half to do a therapy dog visit. But the reaction is amazing. They've always got stories about, oh, I had this kind of dog. The elderly are just amazed that somebody takes the time to bring a dog to let them and then some of them that don't have any family that comes to see them, they call Ruger their dog. I'm their family. They don't know my name, but they know my dog. <laughs> As you mentioned before, it's not easy work for the dog. I mean, that sounds like a full it, day of activity for it. It is. It's very exhausting. <laughs> some some days that we go to two different places a day, like we're doing today, uh, normally, I try to do it in the morning, one visit, and then we'll go let him go take a break, and then we go back out again the next the afternoon. But I go as far away as Hernando, Mississippi, to do therapy visits and testing for this all over the state. But I also go to like Mendenhall nursing homes. Uh, I go over into Florence and. So we, we stay busy. <laughs> All right. As I mentioned, I like dogs, but I'm a little bit more of a cat person. So I got to ask, I, I, I'm, 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 I'm doubtful, but <laughs> does the cat ever work as a, a support animal or service think, animal? Yes, I do think we have. Actually, we have quite a few different animals. We have, they're called Bethlehem donkeys. The lady that I get my goldens from up in Tennessee, she has Bethlehem Donkeys, and they are the small little, small do- small donkeys, but they have the Bethlehem cross on their back, and that's where they get their name. They actually go to assisted livings and nursing homes when, in the nice weather, they get to go out and the people come outside and visit with them. But there is cats that live in the facilities sometimes, so Ruger and I encounter cats too <laughs> on our going from room to room and uh, there was a cat in a nursing home here and he's part Maine Coon big cats Mm -hmm. Uh, he rides the elevator he sits in front of the elevator somebody punches the button and he gets on it and he'll go up when he gets there the door's open and he goes out and visits with people if you don't want the cat in your room you close your door That's, that's the way they do it but yes, cats can be therapy animals. So we've got about two minutes left. If someone was listening this morning and, and wanted to learn more about assistance animals, uh, is there a resource maybe online that that, that you would point them to? Yes, uh, they can they can put in search words like 
therapy dogs. Uh, our website is www.therapydogs.com. And it'll bring up Alliance. But if you need an ESA dog, put in emotional support or shorten it to ESA or service dogs. And, of course, a great resource is the lady that runs Gallant Hearts Guide Dog Schools. Uh, that's actually full-fledged service guide dogs. We've got several people in the area here that do the training for her. But we also have a lot of great obedience trainers that people, that's your first step with having a good dog, is doing basic obedience. There's a lot you can teach it at home, but people don't know the little tricks that you can do to get a dog to pay attention to you. So, so Dr. Major, would you agree with that? If you get a new puppy that, you know, investing in some obedience training is, is always, I think would probably pay off in the long run for you. Right. In a certain age uh, that you would do that, uh, Teresa may have some insight there, but usually you don't want to start doing obedience training too early. You need to do those basics we talked about, uh, sit, stay, come, uh, and then probably at about six months. Six months. I would say would be the perfect time to start getting some obedience training. And there's classes that you can go and take your pet. Mm -hmm. They help to teach you as well. And then there are uh, some good individuals around this area that can actually train to a higher degree. Right. That, that's a good thing to know that the, the owners need a little bit of a training as well. That's. <laughs> hey, this has been a fun show. Creature Comforts is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio with funding provided in part by listeners. To hear today's show or a previous show, you can visit creaturecomforts.mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Media app for your smartphone. Our show is produced by Java Chapman, and our call screener today was Abram Nanny. So for Dr. Troy Major, the absent Libby Hartfield, and our guest Teresa Gardner, I'm Kevin Farrell. Inviting you to stay tuned. Up next, it's AutoCorrect. We'll be back next Thursday at 9 for another Creature Comforts, heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. 